this global pandemic could have a lot to say about the state of the church and the truth of Jesus' words in the book of Matthew. Let's take a look. My name is Adam Butler, and you're listening to Bubblegum Gospel Podcast. Jesus tells a parable. Um, There's two, actually, that we're going to be looking at. They're both in Matthew 13, and I think they are some of the most profound parables in all of Scripture. They're two of my favorites because I think there's so much truth to them. Not that anything else that Jesus says doesn't have that much truth. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I think there's a lot to say about the importance of the gospel and how people respond to the gospel and even the state of the church in these two brief parables that Jesus tells. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 13. So I want to read this parable to you first. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, And then I want to show you how I think that it's very telling for the church today. And it always has been. But especially now, I think there's a lot that we can learn from this parable. So let's take a look at it. Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. And so it says this, starting with verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. It says, So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house um, came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Where did these come from, right? He says to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Well, then what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go gather them? But, verse 29, he says, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, a little bit of context, of course. As I said, this is Matthew 13. And Jesus has just finished telling his disciples... Like just a few verses before, he told them the parable of the sower. And there's a chapter in Bubblegum Gospel dedicated to this parable because I think it's so telling. Uh, There's so much to learn about the spread of the gospel and about making disciples in that parable. And I'm going to talk about it briefly here in just a second. But I want to focus on this parable um, about the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, as some translations call it. So these weeds that it's describing was probably a weed called darnel, which looks a lot like wheat as it's growing. And uh, you can tell, like, by Jesus' language, he says, like, look, if if you try to separate the wheat from the weeds now, you won't be able to tell which is which because you'll end up pulling up the the wheat with it. So darnel looks like wheat. It's almost indistinguishable from wheat as it's growing, and it's not until harvest time. It's not until it's fully grown that that you're able to tell Okay, this one's the darnel, this one's the wheat, and then it's easier to separate the two. And so the question that we should be asking is, what is this parable about? Well, the parable, again, Jesus has just finished talking about the parable of the sower. And a quick little overview of the parable of the sower. He talks about seed that is being scattered on different planes, basically, different areas, different types of soil. And the point of the parable is that 
there, the gospel is being spread to different people. So let's review that parable uh, really quickly, then we'll get back to what the, what the parable of the weeds is talking about for today. So um, going back to starting with verse 1 of Matthew 13 again, it says that Jesus sat down beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him because pretty much everywhere that Jesus went, there was crowds following. And it says that he told them many things in parables, and one of which he says, okay, so the sower goes out to sow. And as he sows, some seeds fell along the path, it says, and the birds came and devoured them, right? So he goes on, he says, so there's other seeds that fell along the rocky ground, and they didn't have a lot of soil, so immediately they spring up, um, because the, the soil's not deep, so they, they spring up right away, but because there wasn't deep soil, it says that the sun rose and they were scorched, because there was not enough soil for them to be grounded in, so the sun uh, basically burns them up. Um, it says, since they had no root, they withered away, right? Uh, he goes on, he says, look, there's other seed that falls among the thorns. And then what the thorns did is they grew up and they choked them, right? So that nothing could really grow because the thorns choked them out um, before anything could happen. And then finally, in verse 8, he says, but then you've got some seed that falls on what he calls good soil. And what it does is it produces grain. And he says, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he concludes the parable by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, you can get very over-analytical about this, this parable, but I think the, the truth is very clear, as is the case with most parables. Again, I talk about parables a good bit in the book, but the, what, you should, what you need to know when you're reading a parable is this. The reason Jesus tells parables is because they're easy to understand. And Jesus uses parables because parables involve symbols and images that his audience would have been familiar, familiar with. And uh, we do this too. Um, if you've ever heard like fables, um, I mean, even even like kids' stories, they often have imagery that kids are familiar with in order to teach moral lessons. If you ever heard of like Aesop's fables, it's the same type of deal. Jesus is doing this because he knows this is a story with a lot of theological value, and I want to present it in a way in which they're going to understand. But it's it's kind of funny. Oftentimes, even the disciples didn't get what he was saying. They had to go back and ask him afterwards, so what What were you talking about again? And so, um, but that's what parables are really there for, is, is just to break down the story in an entertaining often, but just very understandable way. But having said all that, I think the message of the parable of the sower is very clear, and that is that there are people who will respond differently to the gospel uh, depending on the soil at which the seed is planted. Because remember, we, sometimes we don't even realize how easy it is for us to plant seeds. You know, you, you answer somebody's questions, you're planting a seed. You, you share the gospel once, you're planting seeds. Um, you're there for somebody in a time of crisis, and you use that opportunity to, to share your faith or, or to witness to them or to uh, share your testimony. Those are all planted, seed-planting opportunities, and you may never see or you may never witness that tree grow, I should say, because, you know, you might plant a seed, somebody else might water that seed, but ultimately it's up to the Holy Spirit whether or not that seed finally grows uh, into a tree. And so, but we're, we're planting seeds all the time, and the gospel is always being proclaimed somewhere, and it's our job to make sure that it is, but different people are going to respond differently. And uh, I think there's there's so much 
so I keep saying this, but there's just there's so much info and so much theological truth to the little details that he points out about the different areas in which these seeds are falling. But the one I want to focus on, and again, I talk about all this in the book, I go into depth, but the one I want to focus on is it talks about seeds that fall on rocky ground where they don't have much soil, and it says immediately they spring up. But since they had no depth, the sun rises and, and it scorches them, and then they because it says they have no root, they didn't take root, and so they withered away. Now remember, Jesus explains what he means by the parable because um, uh, the disciples ask him, what are you talking about? And so he explains what he means by that, by the, the seed that falls on rocky ground. And it's in verse 20, he says this, Jesus, he says, as for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It says, but he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And as soon as tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Hmm. Let's hold on to that thought because I think it's going to come into play um, here in just a second. But also, look at the seed that's sown, among, that's sown among the thorns. It says that as soon as it you know, springs up, the thorns choke it out. Jesus also explains what this means. He says that it's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke it out, and then he, he falls away from the word. This is so profound, and I think that it has a lot to say. If you read that first, because it, obviously it comes before the next parable that we already read, if you read that first, it actually makes the next parable of the wheat and the weeds makes it make a lot more sense. So let's look again, keeping that in mind about these, these uh, things that cause people to fall away, you know, because they have no root. Let's look again at the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the tares. So he talks about, I won't read it again, but he talks about how um, the people go out in the field, the workers, and they say, we can't tell which of these is wheat and which is weed. You know, they know that there's weeds there, but they're like, okay, what do we do about this? And the master says, you've got to wait until the harvest time. That's when you'll be able to tell uh, who's tr which one is true and which one uh, has been sowed there by the enemy. And what that parable is talking about is essentially the same thing, but more specifically, he's talking about just those two or just the areas of soil with which there was no root. So ha keeping the parable of the sower in mind, he when he's talking about the wheat and the tares, the tares are, I think, that's supposed to represent those seeds that never took root, that sprang up and um, that ultimately fell away. And here's what I mean by that. When he's talking about the wheat and the weeds, the wheat, of course, is supposed to represent the believers, those who have been truly converted by grace, those who have been redeemed and have chosen to repent of sin and turn toward Christ, those who have been born again, to use Jesus' words in John 3. So the wheat represents the true believers. Now the tares, or the weeds, that represents the people who might claim Christianity, who might claim uh, to be a Christian, who might go to church, who might even read their Bible, but have never truly allowed the Holy Spirit to change them. 
And an example of this might be what we would call nominal Christians, Christians by name only, those who claim Christianity but have not really allowed repentance to occur in their life. They've not really turned toward Jesus. And if you think that I'm making stuff up, just look at Jesus' words in Matthew 7. I'm going to have a podcast episode about that uh, chapter soon, but Jesus says, uh, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that um, he will say to many, depart from me because I never knew you. And so what that shows us, what I'm going to explain in, in a later podcast, is that there are people who might claim to be saved, who might even think that they are saved, um, who are not actually part of the family of, of Christ. And, and I'll explain that in detail. But what, the, what we can conclude from that is that Jesus' words are true, that there are people who, who might claim Christianity, who might have had an emotional experience at church, or maybe even get involved in church or get involved in activities uh, involving the church, but who have no root. That, that's the takeaway. That's the important distinction that we have to make is that the reason that these seeds didn't last is because they weren't able to survive um, having no root. And what, the, what Jesus is saying is that, look, you have to have a foundation. You have to abide in me. You have to allow this to change you. You can't just claim it. You can't just go to church. You know, you can't just uh, read your Bible every once in a while. You have to actually have a relationship. You actually have to allow the Holy Spirit to redeem you because otherwise you don't have a root. If you're just going to church just to go to church, if you're claiming Christianity but you're not living it out, you know, are you really connected to the vine? We talked about that passage um, in an earlier podcast. So I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast that I think this is relevant to where we are as a nation and as, as the world right now. And unless you're listening to this months from now, from when I'm recording it, which hopefully by then this will all have cleared up at least a little bit, then you are undoubtedly aware that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, the COVID-19 coronavirus is uh, one of the most serious pandemics we've seen in a long time. In fact, it's taken this nation and the, the world by storm. Uh, there's all kind of uh, craziness happening. People are losing jobs. People are dying. People are having to learn to adapt to this. And so it has taken us by storm. And one of the many results of this pandemic is that we're quarantined. So we are being asked not to go outside or not to go anywhere rather unless it's to work, to go, to go back to home or to go get essentials from the store. Um, but otherwise, they're asking us to stay inside, stay inside to slow the spread of the virus. Well, as a result of that, they've also asked churches to stop meeting, and churches have had to face the challenge of learning to adapt to church online. Um, most churches are working through it. I'm, I'm very, very proud of the pastors who are who are uh, dealing with this, who are dealing with congregations who don't know what to do, who are having to adapt to preaching into a camera, which is awkward. So yeah, there's a lot of changes occurring, but I want to focus on that one aspect is that church is now online. And here's what that has to do with the parable. I think 
what we're going to see as a result of this is a separation of some of the wheat from the tares. Let me explain myself. What we've got in America right now is there's a lot of churches who have adopted this Christianized version of the American dream, and that's what we're preaching in churches. And the prosperity gospel, um, these, you know, uh, get-rich-quick, health and wealth preachers, that's just an extreme example. But bubblegum gospel, what I talk about in the book, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're seeing is that churches are starting to shift into this cultural Christianity that we're not taking the gospel seriously. And I talk about all this in the first podcast. You can go back and listen. I'm not going to get back into that. But the point here is this. A lot of churches, as a result have adapted this attractionalism model and are using experience and emotionalism as a means to draw people in. Now, here's where that comes into play. If people are being drawn in by attractional means and they're hearing the gospel and they're becoming disciples and they're learning to disciple others, then by all means, go for it. But... If that's all they're getting, if all they're being fed is bubblegum and they're not learning how to feed themselves, they're not learning how to defend the faith, they're not learning how to disciple others, how to grow, then we've got a problem. And I think what we're going to find as a result of this pandemic is that this is going to be the deciding factor between who is truly committed to the church and who is realizing, well, there's... There's really no reason for me to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church. I mean, like, what's different about that? I mean, even a pastor, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week that even a pastor had said the only thing different about church online is that we're not together, basically, that we're not in person. And so what what we've got is a culture of Christians who are going to church for the sole purpose of the experience because that's what's drawn them in. And again, if they're hearing the gospel, then that's one thing. But as as I make the case in the book and as we've seen, a lot of times in many churches, that's not happening. And that's a big problem. And so I think it's the saying is so true. I heard it first from Ravi Zacharias, but I think it might have been Kyle Eidelman who first said it, that whatever you win them with, you'll win them too. And if we're winning people with attractional, carnal means of entertainment, and that's all they're getting, then that's what they're winning them, we're winning them to. And so what I mean by that is we're not getting that. So if you win people with attractionalism and then in their homes, you know, over, over live streaming, they're not getting that, well, then they're going to feel like they're not being fed and they're going to start to think, well, you know, th- maybe this isn't for me after all. Because you see, you see, how Jesus' words are so true, if there's no root, if it's just all attractional carnal means, if there's no root in the seeds, then they will fall away. And I think, unfortunately, we're going to see that happening in a lot of churches because so many churches have adopted this model and have started watering down and even pushing aside important doctrines of, of Christianity. Now, Jesus also talks about deceitfulness when he's describing the wolves in sheep's clothing. And in that context, he's actually talking about false teachers. So he's telling the disciples, here's what you need to look for 
to discern who's a true teacher and who's a false teacher, a false prophet. But I think there's actually a connection between those two that a lot of these churches that have that are not preaching the true gospel, that are preaching a prosperity gospel, or that are preaching just um, a pr- the, the progressive Christianity message, these, ant- these non-biblical messages, I think a lot of those teachers are the wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus is talking about. And so there's a correlation because these wolves in sheep's clothing are leading people astray. That's what Jesus warns people about. He says, don't be, don't be deceived that many false teachers are coming. And so you've got these wolves in sheep's clothing, these false teachers that are using the gospel to get money and to get fame and to, to make you feel good and to, to tell you that you can get money and, and fame or whatnot. And so as a result, it's the, I think it's, it's the wolves in sheep's clothing, it's the false teachers who are creating these weeds. And so if we're not discipling people, if we're not creating good soil, creating room for these seeds to take root, then they're not going to take root. So I don't want this to be an, a, an entirely doom and gloom episode, but I do think that we've got to take Jesus' words seriously. That There's a lot of people who maybe think that they're saved because of this watered-down version of the gospel that's lacking in so many areas, and they think that that's what Christianity is. You know, they're drawn in by these attractive, carnal, entertaining means, and they think this is what this is what the Bible, this is what it means to be a Christian. But a lot of them has, have been deceived, not all, but a lot of them have. They've been deceived by false teachers, and, and we've got to make sure that we're giving them the full gospel. Because I, I think it is so true. I heard a pastor once say, if, if going to church is just a hobby, then this is probably the worst hobby you could have. If, if that's all it is, if it's just a hobby. Right? I mean, you get up early on a Sunday morning, you go into a building with a bunch of other people, you sing some songs, you listen to somebody yell at you from the pulpit, basically. I mean, if that's just a hobby, then that's a terrible hobby. There's so many better things you could be doing on a Sunday if it's just a hobby. But if it's true, if there's meaning to it, if we really believe what we're saying and what we're, what we're learning then there's so much more to it. And, of course, that doesn't take into account all the other things that the church is involved in. That doesn't take into account the the uh, ways that we serve the community, um, how we've been there historically, uh, the, the contributions to society that we've made, you know, um, hospitals, orphanages, universities, ultimately uh, speaking out against slavery, you know, th- these are things that people don't really realize that the church was behind all of these things. And so the church is so much more than that. But I think the point is, is that, look, if if all church is to you is just something that you do on a Sunday morning, then that's a terrible hobby. But if it's real, if we've really been changed and we're there for community and we're there to worship God, then it's so much more than that. But so many Christians today... To them, it's just a hobby, and I think this is going to show us who really is um, a wheat, if you will, and who is a weed. And um, don't get me wrong, I'm praying for revival in this nation. I'm praying for revival in the world. I hope that we'll turn toward God through all of this, that our nation will, will turn back to God. 
but I also am praying that these false teachers that are deceiving people, that people will turn away from them and won't stay there, that they will turn toward the true gospel, that they will turn toward the Bible for their truth. And so this is just further proof of how important the the true gospel message in its entirety really is and how important it is for us to make disciples as followers of Christ. So I hope this was helpful. I hope you'll join me in praying for revival for this nation, that God would move, that we'd see another awakening. And um, I hope you guys have a great week. Again, you've been listening to Bubblegum Gospel Podcast. My name is Adam Butler. We'll catch you guys next time.